0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at EveryNationGTA.org. Well, good morning. As we were just trying right up till the very end to get things working today, I was thinking um, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. It felt like all the great minds here in the studio just could not figure out how to solve this little technical problem which i take personal responsibility for because i upgraded the operating system on the laptop could be our problem mm-hmm. anyway um welcome my name is Sheila i'm really excited to be continuing our series miracles let him be known this time of the year we join with the every nation family around the world and many many of our every nation uh Churches, track with the sermon series that is tied in with our week of prayer, fasting, and consecration that we do early in the month of January. So we're halfway. I think this is week four. And as I said, we join with the Every Nation uh, churches around the world. So this morning, I'm giving a shout out to our Every Nation church in the fabulous city of Montreal. Jubilee, Pastor Elena and all the great folks there will be watching this sermon. So welcome, guys. Well, um, miracles, miracles. Uh, we talk about miracles, we talk about them in terms of being signs that point to something. If you just do a little Googling, Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, records about 10 miracles, depending on what you call a miracle. And and Mark is, um, he's in the shortest gospel, he actually records 18 miracles. And um, Luke, again, depending on what you consider, it's 16. And uh and most scholars agree that in total, there are 37 distinct, unique miracles, signs recorded in the Gospels. John. John chose seven, and that's what we're focusing on. He chose seven, so it kind of makes sense to pay attention to what those seven are that he thought were the most important to pass on to future uh readers of that which he wrote. So of all the miracles, of all 37, only one miracle is in all four Gospels, and that's the one we're going to look at today, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, Before we read today's passage, John tells us, and we've gone to this verse with every message, John tells us in the end of the book, chapter 20, almost the very end, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who was spoken of to come. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. John chose the things that he wrote, that he spoke about. These seven signs or miracles, that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we may have life, the abundant life. John actually uses the word life like 40-odd times, and every time he's talking about an abundant life or an eternal life, the fullness of life that God would have for us. So we're going to begin today in John chapter 6, verse 1. And... After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Pause here for just a second. So Matthew tells us Jesus actually went to a desolate place to be alone. Mark tells us in his recounting of this story that Jesus went to rest. On we go. Lifting. Sorry, lost my spot. Uh, Ah, Yes, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not be enough to buy bread for each of them to get a little. Jesus said, uh, Oh, one of the disciples, Andrew. Son Peter's brother said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what is that for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, uh, Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus actually, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them, and he actually healed their sick, and. Luke in his recounting tells us that he spoke to this crowd of the kingdom. So the people came. We've got, we've got a problem here. Um, no food for this crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. What are we going to do about it? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain to be by himself. So here we have, yes, a story. An amazing story of God's provision. Uh, Over and above, 12 baskets left over. Everyone could have what they wanted or needed, And still 12 baskets left over. An amazing story of God's provision. Yes, a story of a God who multiplies what we offer to him. A small token, really. Five loaves, two fish. And the story of a God who can multiply even the little beyond what anyone could have thought, imagined. Yes, it's a story of compassion. Jesus looking at these people in a desolate place and saying, we can't send them away. Um, He felt compassion for them. He met their needs by healing, by speaking to them of the kingdom, and he fed them. Yep, it's a story of provision and miracles and compassion. But more than that, there was a crowd. There was often a crowd. And yet Jesus teaches the crowd so many times we see he teaches the crowd and he takes a few aside and he actually disciples them. He gives them understanding. He may speak something to a crowd, but he actually will explain to the, to a few. Case in point, um, there was a story of the sower and the seed. I believe it's in Mark and, uh, Jesus tells this parable. And after they walk away from the crowd, the disciples kind of said, what the heck did that mean? And Jesus went on to give them a, a beautiful explanation of the parable. He said, it's not for everybody to know, but you guys need to know this. So um, Jesus will will see over and over again that he teaches the crowd, but he'll give the deeper explanation to that few, to his disciples, to those who were close to him. He needed them to believe. He needed them to understand. When John said that we would believe and that we would have life, eternal life in him, when Jesus Jesus knew he was going to be gone and when he was going to be gone, these who were following close were going to be the ones who began taking that message, even like Matthew 28, into all the world, preaching the gospel, teaching of Jesus. They needed to believe and they needed to understand, so he went a little deeper with them. So today, in John's account of this story, he actually calls out a couple of guys by name. The other renditions of this are a little more general, but John actually talks about two guys who were participants in this, two of the disciples, Philip and Andrew. We're just going to look briefly at Jesus' encounter with each of these guys in this story. Philip. So, Jesus um, asks Philip a question. Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to go to buy bread so that these people may eat? Strawn. Philip's attention in. Here we got a problem. How are we going to, where are we going to go and buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus asked this question with a purpose because the scripture tells us he said this to him to test him. He said this to test him for Jesus himself. He himself knew what he was going to do. So he asks Philip a question. Not sure if he has any expectation of an answer have to think about maybe why he posed that question, but he does tell us. He wanted to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. And what does Philip answer? An interesting answer. Philip answered, 200 denarii, denarii, denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, we don't know how much that is in today's dollars and cents, but we know from another story in the New Testament that a denarius was like a day's wage. So, 20 or 200 days of work, your income from that would not be enough to give each person in that crowd of 5,000 plus women and children even a little bit to eat. Jesus asks the question. He asks the question with a purpose. And, uh, Philip gives an answer. Gee, I wonder what his tone of voice might have been. Um, as I was reading this, I thought, I was thinking about, I'll digress just for a minute. Um, when our daughter was a teenager and text messaging was really quite new. Um, she was the first one in our family who mastered it. Um, and uh, she was upset one day. She brought me her phone because she thought one of her friends was really mad at her. And she handed me her phone and she said, look at what my friend has said to me. And so I read it. And by Catherine's tone, I could tell how she was hearing what she what was written. I said, okay, let me try this with a different voice. And I just changed the tone. And suddenly, maybe this friend was no longer mad at her. So we only have what's written here. Philip's response, "Mm, 200 days of wages. Well, how how are we going to feed them with that? and uh, was he sarcastic? Was he curious? Was he um, a little upset with Jesus? Remember this. These 12 guys had already seen a lot of stuff. And uh, our first sermon in this series was at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus took gallons of water and made it into really good wine. So they had already seen Jesus provide for a whole lot of people in a supernatural way. And uh, so Jesus wants to know what's going on on the inside of him. Uh, It said, if we turned back to that story in Cana, it said when the disciples saw this, they actually believed in him, believed in Jesus. But now we're in another circumstance and another situation. And gee, what's going on on the inside of Philip? Does he have a sarcastic answer? Does he have just a, an answer, just waves of doubt? How can we feed these people? Wonder why Jesus asked him that question. You know, uh, Jesus challenges with questions. Where's your faith? And um, and you know it's okay because he wasn't trying to put Philip down. He's trying to take him on a journey, on a quest. So. Um, I've been reading this book. The book is actually called Jesus is the Question. And um, it says this, Jesus asks more questions than he is asked. In the four Gospels, Jesus asks 307, count that, 307 different questions. By contrast, he is only asked 183 questions. Now you could dive in there and see how many people actually had an answer for the things that Jesus asked them and how appropriate the answer was, but he asked a lot of questions. Well let's go on to Andrew. Um because here we're going to see Jesus doesn't ask a question of Andrew, but Andrew asks a question of Jesus. Andrew says, it tells Jesus, gives him some information. There's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Again, was Andrew wondering, was he sarcastic? Was he doubtful? And how did Jesus answer him? Did he give him the answer? He actually just said, um, have the people sit down. I love this little detail because it says now there was much grass in that place. <laughs> I, I often wonder why, and I realize it's because it really happened. For some reason, John, it was just the observation. There was a lot of grass on that hill. Um and, uh, you know, just painting a beautiful picture for us to imagine what the setting was. So, um, yeah, Andrew, but what, what is this for so many people? How, how can we, with this small amount, how, how are we going to see all these people fed? More striking, again, back to the, Jesus is the question book. More striking still. Jesus directly answers very few of the 183 questions he has asked. So he asks 307 questions in total in the scripture. Um, He's asked 183, but he hardly answers any of them. In fact, some people say um, he only answered three questions directly that he was asked. Well, Andrew asks him, he goes, uh, what is this for so many? And Jesus doesn't answer him at all. He just says, have the people sit down, and then they get to watch. They get to watch him take the little and bless the food, take it to his father, and distribute that all the needs were met. Jesus doesn't answer the question with words, but he does answer the question. And, you know, I think some of the beauty in this for me is that he's not jesus is not limited by our questions even those times when our hearts feel doubtful or sarcastic or um just really wondering um, when we can't answer the questions that he poses to us jesus isn't limited by our uncertainty or our inability to answer to follow perfectly jesus does he knows what he's going to do and he accomplishes his purposes how about you today? Um, if you bring something to Jesus, let's say, if you bring in something to Jesus, maybe it's um, kindness to a neighbor, maybe it's uh your financial giving and generosity. And is there something inside of you to go, oh, but is that enough? Um, we we see that Jesus can go over and beyond, over and above that small thing that we have for him. Maybe it's like Philip where there's something in you that the problem just seems way too big. And you think, even if I had 200 days wages, I couldn't begin to fade these people. Or whatever your situation in life might be. I have a couple in my life where I have a couple situations, two, maybe three, where I think, really is Jesus big enough? is he good enough is he love is he compassionate enough to provide not the physical bread that i need to eat yeah those are good, that's good but the deep things that we need in our lives so we looked a little at philip and we looked a little at andrew and we're going to skip through really fast through the rest of this chapter i'm not going to read it i'm going to tell you about it so Jesus, after he feeds these people and then he, he really does need some rest. So he disappears again. He doesn't want them to make him king. He goes away to rest. Um, the next story, which is what we're going to look at next week, the, is the recounting of the walking on the water. Looking forward to that. Then following day, Jesus is in a different, is in a different place. And again, the crowd finds him. They follow him. They find him and they have so many questions for him. Um, but he has some for them, too. He goes, you know, they said, how'd you get here? And he said, what'd you come for? Like, what are you doing here? He said, actually, I know what you're doing here. You're coming here because I fed you. You got something to eat. You're not really looking for me. Uh, You're not really trying to understand me. But something got provided for you. And that's kind of where the level of your um your desire is right now. So, um, you know, three other, all, all the gospel writers talk about this miracle, but only John actually takes it to the next, the next level because John actually tells us. He tells us what, remember we said a miracle is a sign that points to something. It's a sign by which if we look to where that sign is pointing, the goal and the purpose is that we would believe and that we would have life in him. So the whole rest of this chapter, John chapter 6, in fact, from verse 25 to 59, Jesus has a discourse with the crowd, talks back and forth about the food and what they were looking for. And they talk a bit about Moses and the manna in the wilderness where God brought food down from heaven and fed a million people for a really long time. Um, they go back and forth. Uh, they, he talks about, you know, doing the will of his father. And oh my goodness, they go on and on and on. Um, but the, the, the people he's interacting with are, <sighs> They're not really looking for the person of the miracle. They're just looking for the miracle. When Jesus knows that, he tells them that, you're just looking for the bread. You're just looking to get something from me. And yet, John wants us to see beyond the sign to the person of the miracle. So Jesus says to them, I... I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. I'm it. A person. I'm the bread of life. I'm the deepest thing you need to satisfy your deepest hungers. Not just did you have breakfast this morning. But that which you long for in the deepest level. If you come to me, I'm it. A person. It's me. Ah. there's a, a Canadian, his name's Don Carson, D.A. Carson, and he's a really smart theologian and he's really fun to listen to. Um, And uh, I really like when smart people say things um so simply. And here's what Don Carson said. The significance of the feeding of the 5,000 is not that he provides food. He is the food. Simple, simple truth. Jesus said this, For this is the will of God, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, there's that word again, believes in Him, should have what? Eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So He's going through all this explanation of I'm the very bread. And the purpose of this, the will of my Father, is that you look to me you believe in me and you actually have life, like life on the inside of you. Remember, John told us that this was the purpose of this whole gospel. The purpose of the signs was pointing to the one, pointing to Jesus. You know, at the end of this chapter, um, the disciples, some of the people who had been following him, they were quite offended when they were quite offended and they left. Um, they no longer walked with him. So, Jesus looked at the 12, the 12. And remember I said, he knew how important it was that they got this. We see this throughout the Gospels that they got this. He looked at them and he said, are you going to leave too? And Simon, Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter's starting to get it. There's nowhere else to go. Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Will they doubt again? Will they have questions again? Will Jesus ask them questions again that they can't answer? Mm, Yeah, same with you and me. And yet, Peter's able to say and see in this moment, "Mm, there's nowhere else to go. We know that you're the one who has eternal life for us, abundant, full life for us. And we've believed, we know that you're the one who's come from God. So we're going to close. Um, We're going to close with just a few other questions that Jesus had for those who are following him. I think I have about eight of the 307. Because, you know, Jesus doesn't stop asking questions. And We can actually look at these questions and look at our own hearts and look at ourselves and use these moments as we read and as we study to go, uh, not just for them in that day, but what are you asking me today? So here's a few of them that I like. In John 1, Jesus asked the people following him, what do you want? John 18, Jesus asked what are you looking for? And Luke, he said, why are you looking for me? So what do you want? What do you want? Who are you looking for? Why are you looking for me? What do you want me to do for you? Who do you say that I am in the book of Mark? How about why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Ouch. What do you benefit, Jesus said, more than once, if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And in the book of Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus asks questions, and he still asks questions of us today. If you encountered him today, January 29th, what might he be asking you? Uh, are you, what are you looking for? Are you looking for bread? Just you, you want your needs met? Are you looking for a king? You know, the king did. He solved all. They thought he was going to solve all their problems with the government. Um, are you just looking for signs and wonders? The, the highs and the lows? What are you looking for today? He wants to take us to belief in him. And to that life eternal. You know, if Jesus is the bread of life as we close today, um, the sustenance we need, where do we look? Where can you find that bread? Well, I have two suggestions today. One is the Bible. And maybe you've never, maybe you've never read the Bible, but maybe today's the day to start. If you don't own one, you can get an online version. Um, and, Open it up and start to read something. Maybe the book of John that which we're studying right now is a great place to start. It's really fun and intriguing and, um, beautiful and will give you a sense of that bread of life, who Jesus is. Um, here's another way I think we learn about the bread of life in community. Maybe it's time to reconnect with your small group or join a small group. If. These are steps that you feel like, man, I need to take a step forward with this today. And I think probably everybody does. Maybe you just need to find one of those questions and really seriously ask yourself, what am I looking for? If there's a next step and we can help you with it, if we can help you, and we'd love to, go online, go to our website, everynationgta.org. And there's a, a virtual card that you can fill out and we'll get and you can get in touch with us and tell us what you need, and we'll get in touch with you. Or next week, when we meet in person, come and talk to somebody one of us, one of the staff pastors, it's small group leaders, somebody at the connection table, and let us help you to encounter the bread of life, Jesus Himself. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us for more information visit our website at everynationgta.org.